At the time this film was made, you know, there were sort of aliens from outer space movies that came and attacked Earth. But the idea of being on another planet that at first seemed just like another version of Earth with humans and having the movies sort of deal primarily with humans. If you thought about it for a minute, you would say, well, where are all the aliens? And so I played on that by going to the cantina and suddenly the movie opens up into a whole other kind of world which exists, which is the world of aliens. I was around when George was shooting some of this. They just built one wall with a little you know, enclosure in it and had probably about 10 different types of masks as well as the musical group that they made a bunch of similar masks for. And in a period of a day or two, shot all these just inserts, these close-ups of the creatures, doing things, looking around, you know, and playing the instruments and all. And it was just a really little, you know, quick, kind of low-budget shoot, bunch of cheap creature masks. Any masks that we could find, we stuck in there. You know, you even see a devil in there at one time, because that was one I think that Rick Baker had, and, you know, we used to use it in the film. It doesn't make any sense, but it textures the movie. So you see them all the way through the sequence. Star Wars fans and move milkers everywhere. Welcome to episode number 231 of Blast Points. This is Jason. And this is Gabe. It's kind of embarrassing, but uh, we don't really have any ideas for any topics for this episode. It's like the first time this has ever happened. I forgot that we were even recording tonight until you called me. So I woke up about 20 <laughs> minutes ago, and so we... We're going to do something a little bit different for this episode. I think we're going to talk about our feelings and maybe talk about love and heartache and times that we've had our heart broken. I think, you know, it's 231 episodes later. We can do something different, right? Sure. So, oh, wait. Oh, this is embarrassing. Oh, the Blast Point's phone is ringing. Uh Uh-oh, who could that be? I don't know. I should probably uh, should probably answer this. Hello. Uh, hey, uh, Gabe, Jason. It's it's Tom Spina. What? <laughs> yeah, I I just had this uh, overwhelming sense, like millions of Blast Points fans suddenly cried out in terror when they heard they were going to have to listen to your feelings. Uh, maybe not millions. Like <laughs> I, I'm thinking twelve to fifteen. But uh, but yeah, I, I felt like. 
we maybe maybe I needed to to jump in here and 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 see what we can make out of this. This is not planned. This is all it's all natural. It's all real. It's all natural. No pre-thought to this. Certainly no acting. <laughs> <laughs> no one would ever accuse this of uh, being acting. These are all real feelings and real emotions. <laughs> right, which is what we're trying to save the audience from. So let's <laughs> Let's just remember that. <laughs> Tom, how are you doing? Good to have you back on once again. Thank you. I'm, I'm doing very well. I'm, I'm crazed as always. We are uh, uh, in New York, back, back to work in our studio, socially distanced, masked, and cleaning incessantly every night. Uh, but we are, are just busy beyond busy, and there's... Uh, 14 or 15 of us there every day now in the studio going crazy. And, and it's, um, it's a, it's a really interesting time, but also really cool just with a lot of the stuff we're getting to do. Has anyone put one of the Chewbacca heads on as a mask? <laughs> they're not particularly conducive to that, uh, the way they're made. Um, they're, they're sort of pokey inside, for lack of a better word. I okay. <laughs> and they are sort of sealed at the bottom, but, okay. um, We've had that in the past for sure, and um, we we did when we did the tour suits for Lucasfilm a few years back. It, it was always kind of like the someone who's like fourth. We got a few people who are not the tallest, like Melissa, who used to be my assistant in the shop years and years ago, and now works in the studio. So she is like four foot eleven and would like put the giant Chewbacca mask on, and it's just <laughs> like the size of her body, and it's just hilarious. But yeah, no, they don't. They don't really put those on. We have been working on um, some new Chewbaccas. So we did, you know, the limited edition run last year. The the heads that sold out like crazy, like within you know six or seven days or something like that. And then this year we're we're doing some custom versions for people. They're like similar, but with so whereas the last one was just a head and some collar and kind of looked a lot like you know, so almost like a mask display. This is much more of a bust. It is. It's got shoulders. It's got a bit of chest. It's got some of the bandolier. You know, it's it's a really substantial. It's like thirty six inches tall. It's this massive display, and people don't realize. You know, even the people who've ordered this, it's a custom order thing. So so far, it's really almost been like this word of mouth thing. Someone gets one, and then we get an email like two weeks later. Hey, my buddy Jay just got this uh, Chewbacca. You know where I could get that? You know, it's like. <laughs> Knock three times, ask for snake, you know, <laughs> like, um, like even the people who get it are just like, when it arrives, like, I had no idea how big this would be. And I'm like, well, yes, he's like, Wookiees are very large. That's a thing. <laughs> um, um, but it's just, it's, yeah, it's been cool making those. And we, uh, um, there's, there's three of them getting ready to, to go out. And then we just got another order today for, uh, from another collector. So we'll probably get his going soon. It's been, like I said, just very, very interesting at the shop. We finished those. We finished, uh, or, uh, we've been doing those. We just finished some Jawas, which we haven't put up on the site yet, but, um, those are, uh, we did a, a four or five life-sized full Jawas, the light up eyes and just dusty and dirty and, you know, custom fabric and all the weathered up leather goods and bandoliers and stuff. And I don't know, I stuff like that. I can sink my teeth into. I love replicating just especially first movie stuff, just, you know, 
classic 1977 thrown together hodgepodge stuff that you've got to now track down and find or replicate and uh, everything's just distressed to no end and ah, i love it so we all know this year there's no star wars celebration sadly we're all real kind of bummed about it still but we're bringing with this episode later one of our favorite things from Star Wars Celebration to you folks, the listeners, the secrets of the Mos Eisley Cantina panel. I don't know what I do without that, like at least once a year. I'd... It's every day for me, okay? <laughs> this is a lifestyle. That's right. The secrets of Mos Eisley. <laughs> but before we get to all of that fun, Tom, you have got some Regal Robot news for the folks out there, right? Uh, I I may actually have some. Wow, did my publicist call you in the last three minutes? That was well done. <laughs> so let's see. So we just so so we've been doing these magnets um, and trying to do like these magnetic mini sculptures. You know, they're all bronze and silver looking and all hand painted and all you know made by our team and in the U.S. and and we had already done the Jabba's Dais gargoyle guy, uh, which was a celebration exclusive last year. We um, had, after that, done the um, uh, Mandalorian grav charge from the show as a little magnet, which is just kind of cool because I love stuff where it's like proppy but functional, you know, and it's in the show. It sticks to anything you put it on Uh, (laughs) in real life. Magnets only stick to metal. Who knew? And certain types of metal. It's really interesting. Uh, but so the uh, and then uh, also for Mandalorian, we did uh, IG-11 and the child as a two pack uh, where it looks like he's strapped to IG-11's chest or you can sort of separate him and put him in different places. And then for Father's Day, we did uh, Darth Vader's Empire reveal. And it's the back of Darth Vader's head because that's all we saw of him in Empire. And uh, the helmet as a separate magnet, so you can kind of lower the helmet onto him or not. We have not yet made an Admiral Piet to come in and look unsettled. But uh, (laughs) just two or three days before we're recording this, we released the first in our Beast collection, and that's a Tauntaun. Uh, And it's Han Solo's Tauntaun, because he doesn't have a broken horn. And that collection's going to have... It's either five or six magnets in it. Uh, the Tauntaun is out now. Uh, the Rancor has been teased, and that will be our next one in the Beast series, and that'll come out probably in late September. Um, it's actually made from a 3D scan of the real Rancor prop, but we just reposed it with a closed mouth and kind of went for that moment where he like he's got the mouth closed after either just after sucking down the, the Gamorrean's arm hand or snapping the bone. And he turns to Luke and he does that like sort of snort as he turns to the camera. But I like with the, he's just such an angry potato. Like when he's got his mouth closed, it's so awesome. And then there are two more individual magnets in the series. One will come out for uh, Mandalorian and it's related to something in season two. Um, and then uh, there will be a two-pack that's coming out for Christmas. So it's we're really turning those into like kind of a cool collection thing. And uh, they're great. They're not too expensive. And they there's always free shipping when they first come out. So whenever a new one comes out. So like right now, the Tauntaun is free shipping if anybody gets it. Um, but next week... I f- and I feel like this thing I'm going to tell you for next week is like the most you guys thing I could tell someone on, bl- on <laughs> online. We have, okay, 
I, I would, I'm assuming, correct me if I'm wrong, but almost all of your fans have seen from Star Wars to Jedi, the making of a saga. I hope so. I can't imagine. Do they have, like, if they don't see it, do they, like, just physically, like, do they have the language necessary to absorb what you guys do on a weekly basis? <laughs> Good point. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so no one ever says that. Thank you so much. Well, so, you know, that was, so that special, as you guys know, near and dear to my heart. It's, to me, it was my first introduction to one of the coolest concept sculptures ever. And it is the Jabba the Hutt concept sculpture, the final concept, the one that really, you know, is what they then translated into that life-size puppet. The, there's the classic three shot. There's the, you know, uh, the first try was too human. The second, too snail-like, which that's just my most favorite thing Mark Hamill's ever said. Um, <laughs> and then the third one is just right. And it's this beautiful sculpture by Phil Tippett. And he's got his hands clasped on his chest and he's all smug and self-satisfied. He's surrounded by like jugs of foul smelling liquid. We assume it's, it's, and he's on this plinth that is clearly carved out of a wood little like project plaque kind of thing that if there was a Michaels back then, that's where Phil must've gotten it. And so we got to see that that's at, um, at Skywalker ranch and it's on display in the main house, actually not even in the archives at the moment. So from highly detailed pictures and measurements of it, we have recreated that thing. Uh, my friend Tony Cipriano, who is this brilliant monster sculptor, just everything he does has like just great character. And he's the guy you go to if you want like a really awesome Karloff Frankenstein or like, you know, uh, he's, oh, he's working on a King Kong, a 1930s King Kong right now that's beautiful. And we had him digitally uh, recreate this from those, the, all the angles of the photos and the, the measurements and everything like that. And uh, that will be going up for sale on the 24th, August 24th, on our website. It'll be, I believe it's $349. Uh, we have a new payment plan where you can even pay it in three payments, um, which is also cool. We've been dying to offer folks a way to pay stuff in payments for a long time, and we've just gotten that set up. It's so cool. I've got one sitting in my office right now. One of the uh, one of the first first shots, um, you know, factory. Not even factory because it's it's everything's painted by hand. It's done by like four people, but it's one of the first what we would consider a production piece where it's out of the molds that we have made for the production and it's it's hand painted by the people that are going to paint the the run. I just look over my shoulder at the shelf every once in a while, and I'm like, why is that there? Like, that's a thing I saw <laughs> for years. I just thought it was just such a cool take on Jabba. It's, and and there it is. So I am, I'm like genuinely buzzing with excitement. Or Dr. Pepper. It's one of those two. Um, <laughs> it's probably the Dr. Pepper. But it's I'm like so excited to be putting that out there. And I, I just, when when you get a license for Star Wars stuff, there's you you look at what the license space looks like. You look at what other companies are doing. And, you know, you you kind of even look at things differently when you go to a Target or a Walmart or whatever. I, I always feel like there's this great underserved group of fans out there who, you know, maybe they just don't want 
the next stormtrooper or Darth Vader figure or whatever. Like, you know, I feel like there's so much of the sameness kind of happening and I'm so just freaking excited that we can pitch stuff like this to Lucasfilm and they don't just go like, what are you doing? <laughs> like, this, Somebody wants this, you know? And, and, and like we put CZ three out as a bust, like, come on, <laughs> you know, talk about secrets of most ice. And we do still, for anybody that that uh, did not know that CZ three as a bus did, we finally got that out there. And those are uh, the numbered edition. Still has some left. If anybody wants to take a look at it, that's on the regalrobot.com site. But yeah, that's that's the big news for Regal is the the new job of the Hutt Maquette. We haven't told anyone about that. By the time this comes out, I might have done a live video on our Facebook page about it at Regal Robot, but. Maybe not. I might be doing it today. I might even do it tomorrow. I don't know when this comes out. I'm just a guest. Well, I think it's so cool that you guys are doing these statues of the maquettes because it's like as cool as it is to get, you know, some another artist's take on these characters we all love. There's just something so cool about getting a statue that is actually a recreation of something that was used to create the movies and is this just early idea of what this character is. So I hope that this is a success and you keep doing more of this thing. Cause it's just, it's such a cool idea. Thank you. We it's, it's becoming, you know, it is, it is a maquette collection at this point. This is the second piece released. Uh, we have a third one in the works and we actually have a handful to be determined after the, the third one, uh, well, certainly after this one is released, we'll then look look at those. But the the third one should be coming out, uh, and it's also related to Mando season two, um, and it's another really really cool sculpt and, and very fun. So um, yeah, I, I just love to pay tribute to the guys behind the scenes. You know, the the for us to say Phil Tippett, that is a name that that resonates for Star Wars fans for behind the scenes guys especially. But then there's all these other guys out there that have done such great work and to be able to pull some of their, their stuff out and, you know, shine a little spotlight on even Brian Muir, who uh, to, to a lot of star Wars fans, they never even hear that name. You know, that's not a name in the credits. That's not, uh, certainly not somebody that was ever interviewed on the old, uh, making of specials, but here's, here's a sculptor that's responsible for Darth Vader's helmet for CZ three for the death star droid. And, you know, it was really awesome to work with Brian when we were doing CZ3 and make a signature run for the the signature series of that. And to, we did a little interview with him that's on the website right now. And I love just giving these guys a, a, a little bit of a spotlight wherever we can, because frankly, without what they did, Star Wars might not have inspired us the way it does. And it might not have ever become what it was. These guys are, are true artists and have uh, have changed our lives for the better. Damn it. Now I'm talking about my feelings. <laughs> Java was certainly the hardest of all to create. George said his first design looked too human. Second try, too snail-like. Number three was just right. 
reset Star Wars Celebration. We're we're all missing it. I mean, it's it's all for the best. It's all we we got to stay safe. I we, I think we all knew pretty early on it it's it wasn't happening this summer. But that's you know we can still celebrate celebration and look forward to twenty twenty two. And I, I was curious thinking about it, what was your first celebration experience like, Tom. When what was your first one? When you walked into there, can can you put yourself back in that space that was going through your head? Yeah, I mean, for me it was Celebration Two. I didn't go to the first one, and then I saw all the stuff online with just mud and rain and everything, and I was like, "Oh, dodged a bullet." All right, you know. Like I, I and then weirdly, it it sort of over I don't know whatever it was a year or two before the second one came. There was this mystique about it. The people who had been there. It's like like people who survived a war together or something. <laughs> um, and I was like, well, I got to go to the second one. It's, I hear it's indoors. <laughs> That's my speed. So it was an interesting show. It was it was one of these things where I'm trying to think of like the standout things. I think the coolest thing for me was connecting with all the folks that I knew from the RPF. So Replica Prop Forum, uh, it's therpf.com, or there's the Replica Prop Forum group on Facebook. Uh, this was like a foundational place, uh, a, a real uh, – I don't know, foundational? Is that even a word? Whatever. It uh, works. works. It, it, it really was this, this sort of breeding ground for makers and for people who were – you know, just starting to on the early, early internet, late nineties, connect with other fans who were figuring out what Star Wars things were made from, and were finding out what bla- what you know guns were used for certain blasters and what kind of bandoliers the Tuscan Raiders were and all that kind of fun stuff, and lots of you know, just sharing of information and sharing of work, and you know I had met all these these awesome artists uh, digitally, you know, that were connected with. And now I could get to go and and meet them in person and and hang out and talk. And I I remember sitting. So there was a replica props panel that I attended. I was there trying to find. And this is, of course, I didn't have a cell phone at the time. Um, So I'm trying to find Chris Trevis who um, a lot of fans know just from his beautiful Star Wars artwork, Chris Travis, Chris Reif do a lot of the books. They did like the Millennium Falcon blueprint book and like the technical journal and stuff like that. They're both just amazing talents. And uh, Chris Travis, I had used to talk with on the RPF and I was like, oh yeah, well, well, you know, I'll see you at the show. I'll I'll be at this one panel for the replica props. I'll see you there. Cause that's, you know, no cell phone. So I I sit down and I realize as I walk in, I'm like, I have no idea what he looks like. <laughs> like <laughs> I I know what his avatar looks like, and it's not him. It's like, you know, a little thing. I'm like, I what how do I so I'm like I'm looking around and I'm trying to, you know, trying to gauge some people and, and it's like, does he look like a Chris? I don't know. Uh <laughs> and so I wind up sitting down and I I turn to the guy next to me, I'm like, this is a long shot. Do you know what Chris Travis looks like? And I, 
like full Obi-Wan, like, of course I know him. He's me. You know, <laughs> I was like, I literally sat right next to him and it was, it was just amazing. Like, Oh my God. Um, so that's the thing I took away was just this, this chance to meet people that I knew, but never knew. Um, and, uh, and, and that panel in particular, somewhere there's a picture of like 20 or 25 of us from the RPF all lined up awkwardly. We're nerds. Uh, and, uh, but it was, is just such a cool time to meet all those folks, to connect with them. And then, you know, obviously the rest of the show was great. I always loved the shows where they brought the props out anytime, you know, you could go through and see stuff from the archives. Um, I thought that was super cool. That was always my favorite part of the other shows. (laughs) Doing the panels is great too. I've been doing those since, uh, celebration three, you know, usually on the props panel with Gus and those guys, uh, and then eventually all the cantina panels. And yeah, it's just, just so cool engaging with, with fellow fans and people who just get it the same way you do. Like the, you do a cantina panel, you draw a certain audience, you know, (laughs) um, and to have folks come up at the end and ask really tough, obscure type questions is so cool. Cause it's just like, Oh, thank God. Someone else who like, you know, lays awake at night like I do about, you know, who played Boshek. You know? How did the Cantina panel, how did, how did that first get created? How did you, did you pitch it? How did, how did that come about? Boy, that's a good question. You know, I, I, it's so 2011 or 2012 might've been the first one. There was a show coming up. Pablo and I had known each other for a while at that point, and I, I think it was just kind of came out of us exploring this stuff on our own for so long. And I, I, it was probably me that said, what, what if we made a panel out of this? And then I was able to get in touch with John Berg, uh, who uh, worked on the cantina. He built Hammerhead. He built the Given Alien. Uh, he sculpted that mask. Uh, he was there at the shoot and, um, you know, played the given, played hammerhead, uh, puppeteered him anyway. Uh, and then of course also he worked on the hollow chest scene, which is just also crazy and cool. And, uh, and it's just one of the nicest guys you could ever meet. And then, uh, Nick Maley was going to be there and Nick had worked on the UK version of the, you know, the, the first shot of, of the cantina. So in my mind, I'm like, this is amazing. You know, John's going to be at the show. Nick's going to be at the show. Pablo and I, you know, could talk for hours in front of people about Cantina stuff. But here we have this this nexus of two guys that were at the two different shoots that made our favorite scene. And the first one was a 90 minute panel. It still wasn't long enough (laughs) because, you know, we we went through so much stuff. And, you know, Nick, he's just always got stories for everything. He's such a great memory considering how long ago that was. Yeah, super fun. And then my favorite thing was we got to name an unnamed character after somebody in the audience. And that's been something we've done now. At least any of the celebration ones, we've always done that. And I, it's just so cool. I, I wish I could participate. <laughs> it's that, that's just one of those neat things where like, I can't, I got to think it's, you know, for, for the people getting that, to, to be able to go to Wikipedia and see, you know, some mixed up version of your name as an alien in star Wars. Like that's pretty, pretty neat. Well, you're, I'm just thinking your celebration journey has got to be one of the most unique because you started what is celebration two as a fan. Yeah. 
and then now, like you, not only hosting the the cantina panel, but all the other panels you take part in, and just having such a a, a regal robot presence on the floor. Which I remember in Chicago, Gabe and I, we were like, "Oh, we should go say hi to Tom or give you a T-shirt," and we'd be like, "Oh, he's swamped. He's way too busy." There'd be a, a crowd of fifty people surrounding your regal robot booth at all times, which is awesome. But that. That's got to be such like a trip for like a, a, a celebration journey. Yeah. Yeah. I never really thought about it that way because it was so organic. Uh, you know, it was just kind of a natural thing. Yeah. I mean, I, there's no other way to say it. It just kind of it evolved so naturally. And it, it's I don't know. We, we've, we keep we always do stuff with the uh, the Star Wars dot com people. You know, we've been. Uh, the, the, their online group, the people that do the Star Wars show and all of that, we've been doing stuff with them for so long as well that everything just fits so great. You know, they did uh, Celebration Anaheim that time where they wanted, uh, they set up the cantina. And so it was the set that we had used in one of our, um, one of the online videos we shot. I think it was Nerdist and it was with Billy D. Williams. Uh, they, so they took that set and then they wanted us to bring all of our aliens. At that show... We were juggling the aliens there. I don't, I'm trying, we didn't have a regal booth at that show, but I was doing panels and then also, you know, running people from their upstairs office, which is where the dressing room was down and through the crowded area to the stage for, to be backdrop for the Star Wars show. And then doing interviews on the Star Wars show and stuff like that being right. It was just this, this crazy, crazy show. That's the sort of stuff that each each show is just sort of uniquely nuts. <laughs> um, and they just got busier and busier. Like Chicago nearly put us down. Like that was just so much. Like you said, yeah, it was the booth was just jammed all the time. And but yeah, I mean, you've seen me there. You've walked past it. Like you, you know, we and and you jokingly say that because we did eventually connect on the floor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I'm like, man. You know, if how do you not light up in that environment? How do you not just beam with excitement when you have that many people coming up to just talk about the cool stuff you're able to do? And and you know, I'm I'm like the luckiest kid in the world playing in the, the coolest sandbox. You know, it's like, hey, come on the stage and and talk about the stuff you're making. And then you know, Jonas comes out because I was talking about Chewbacca and takes over the stage. And the two of us grab the t-shirt guns and we're running around playing you know, star Wars up there. Like <laughs> that's the stuff that happens only at celebration. You don't have that happen normally, you know, getting to see, Oh gosh, I mean, not to bring things down, but seeing Peter at the last show, um, you know, we got to, uh, I'm so glad that we had our Chewbacca bust out at the time. And we got to his, um, his family basically came up and said, Oh, you know, did, did Peter see this yet? Cause he was all set to sign the plaques and stuff for us, but hadn't seen it yet. And, uh, so they, they found a time sort of in between signings and they brought us over there and just, you know, had this amazing emotional, you know, five or 10 minutes with him. And he just was beaming and happy and, and, uh, chatting and pointing stuff out on it. And it was just amazing to, to show this to the man himself and get his feedback and his, his joy, uh, I, it's something like I said. Only at celebration. That's the you're not gonna. Yeah, man. Is your phone ringing? Because my phone's ringing. My phone's ringing too. It's a lot. It's ringing a lot. 
It's going to be code from now on. <laughs> you see, now we're talking about our feelings again. Damn it. <laughs> like you're watching the end of It's a Wonderful Life and your wife looks at you. It's like, it's nothing. My phone's ringing. Okay. <laughs> Brother George, richest man in town. <laughs> So let's talk Mos Eisley Cantina. Let's get on to some cantina archaeology is the word, right? <laughs> That's it. Where are we at right now? What's what's the latest happenings? I, I did hear that you guys uh, managed to catch a music video recently. And I love leading with that one now. I feel like that's, our, that's such a great start. Do you do you want to describe your experience discovering it? Like, what was where did you spot that? I was what I see. That's the thing. I'm missing celebration really bad, and I've been watching panels on YouTube, which you'd be surprised how many are on YouTube. And I found just in a roundabout way a Cantina archaeology panel from. Fan Expo in Salt Lake City, I believe it's called, with you and Pablo. It's either Fan or Salt Lake City Comic Con SLCC, depending on when it was, because they changed the name of it to Fan recently. And you guys opened up, yeah, with this mute, this music video. Was it God? What? Who was the artist again? I keep forgetting. All right, so here's what we should do. So the the group is Godly and Cream, C R E M E, if I remember. Uh, and the the video is cry. And what I would say is, if you're listening, you should go find that on YouTube. Watch the like. Pause this. Uh, <laughs> please do come back. Uh, but pause this. Go watch the video on YouTube, and then come back when you've seen the Star Wars reference and enjoy our banter. It's all like these morphing faces, right? And you wonder, like, where this is going? Why am I watching this? And then out of nowhere, there's a very familiar face to Star Wars Cantina fans, right? That's one way to say it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah I, I, so someone actually sent me that link. And this is the cool thing that happens. Gus Lopez, if you know of him, he's a big Star Wars collector, often sort of publicly debates the idea of sharing your collection versus not sharing your collection. Um, and if you're uh, for, especially for movie prop collectors, that's a real thing. There's a lot of movie prop collectors are very private. And then there's other ones that love to show off everything. And one of the things Gus says is one of the benefits of showing, you know, stuff that you've got is people that have similar stuff might find you and offer it to you. And I feel like this is the, the culmination of that sort of thing. Like, Showing off that I've been obsessed with finding details of the cantina means that people message me with wonderful stuff like this video where you and, – and again, it's the same kind of thing. Like I'm watching the video. I'm like, why am I watching this? What's this guy sending me this for? All right. Let's see. And then the cantina bartender himself, Mr. Ted Burnett, shows up for all of about two and a half seconds <laughs> But it's just, you know, you're going through face after face, normal person, normal person. Wow. <laughs> and it's so cool. It's just such a random thing. 
Were you able to find out anything about this video? Like, did they pick him because he was the bartender in Star Wars? Or did they just get people from the ugly agency? Like, do we know anything about this? No, I got nothing. And I mean, maybe that's a, maybe that's something to explore. I was like, this is one of those things that just even on the surface is enough. Like, this is just random and fun. And it's like, as an open, I thought it was fun. But I, yeah, I mean, maybe we got to find out who directed the video or who the casting director was. My guess is, like you, you're saying, like they just wanted interesting looking people and somebody was like, yeah, call the ugly agency. Here's a canteen question I've been wondering a lot lately. The, in the wide shots of the cantina, and you can barely see it a little bit in the movie, there's like a mounted creature head up above everyone. What, 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 what are we looking at here? So uh, in the bar itself we discovered there's actually a bunch of taxidermy. Um, it started, Pablo spotted a crocodile on the wall. Wait, wait, yeah, where's, wait, wait, where's, where's the crocodile? So in the cantina, it is on the right side as you're looking at the bar from the doorway. It's on the right side between two of the booths on the wall. Uh, in the Empire of Dreams documentary where George is talking to Dr. Evazan going over script notes at one point, in the background, I believe it's over George's left shoulder. It would be the, the right side of the frame. You should be able to see it. Um, we had a couple of good images that showed it. And it's funny. We had the images because the images showed that the land speeder sales guy was in the cantina. And you could see the fly alien and I think one of the Moseps in that front corner uh, when Luke walks in. And it was like, oh, that's cool. Like the land speeder guy's in there. That's neat. And then it's just like, wait. Is that a crocodile on the wall? <laughs> you know? And there is there's a, 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 this Indian style uh, crocodile, a uh, very long snooted crocodile, just on the wall, head of crocodile. Uh, when you when Obi Wan has just you know finished dispatching with uh, Walrus Man and Evazan, over well, his left shoulder is a tiger or lion skull mounted on the wall. Fuzzy, it's in the background, but it's there. Uh, on the other side of the bar on the wall, there's what looks to be a shark fin and maybe like a seal head or something like that. Um, those are tougher to make out. And then there's the thing over the bar. Now, I'm torn on this. So to, before I go too far into this, I'm going to digress for a minute. I'll go back to that B-roll footage from Empire of Dreams. If you haven't watched the Empire of Dreams and, Dreams and you like the cantina, it's only maybe 30 seconds or a minute worth of footage, but it's absolute gold. It's, it's lights-on footage of the cantina shot with 16-millimeter B-roll, and it's, it's really beautiful stuff. Um, and you get some really nice looks at some of the characters, you know, either with their masks up or not, you know, not in their normal positions. The, there's a great couple of shots of like behind the bar and stuff like that. And I don't know if this is in that cut down or just the unedited footage, which I've been lucky enough to dig through. But the cantina bartender actually has a keyboard at the bar behind him, like a like a QWERTY regular keyboard, like regular computer keyboard. I'm even wondering, I'm like, was that even a thing in 77? I guess maybe maybe it was for like a typewriter. I don't know. But so he's got this QWERTY keyboard, and but it's upside down. And, like, because now it's a space keyboard. You know, like, <laughs> if, it was, if it was regular, then you wouldn't, you know, why, is, why does he have a keyboard there? And now it's like, no, no, it's upside down. It's 
was it like his cash register? Do you think for? Yeah, for- I think that's the implication. Yeah, I think it's it's like it's supposed to imply that's his his system for ringing people up or whatever. Or maybe it's just the controls for the droid detector. I don't know. Uh-huh. Um, but yeah, I, I would imagine that implies the, that that's the cash register. But you know, so so we had this idea of like, well, if it's upside down, now it's from space. So I looked at that thing over the bar. And there's not a lot of great pictures of it, um, even in the behind-scenes footage that's there, almost nothing. Even in all the images in the Lucasfilm image archives, hardly anything. I found a few pictures. So it, it, at a glance, it looks like it's like a moose head without antlers. But you really look at it, it doesn't hold up. I did find one side view, and I thought, like, I'm like, I just, I don't know. And then, you know... I, I don't know if you guys do this thing where you just flip an image a different direction, turn it 90 degrees or turn it 180 and just sort of see, like, does something else jump out at you? It's it's just me, isn't it? I'm the <laughs> I really thought you'd go with me on that limb. All right. Of course. Of course, of course we do. Of course. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. So I flip that image. I swear to God, it's a fish. So I, I look at it and I'm like, that's like some kind of giant, like, big mouth sort of fish, like some kind of giant bass or sea bass or something. It looks like they took a fish and then put it upside down. So it's a space fish. And then, you know, put some like extra eyeballs on top or something like that. I, and, and this is purely a guess, but my best guess, space fish. So this has got me wondering, did all the taxidermy, all the heads on the walls, space fish, a seal, a shark fin, was this was this John Barry? Was this Roger Christian? Who? What was going on with the the design of the set and the dressing of it? It feels like Roger Christian uh, sort of stuff, but yeah, it could have been John Barry, and I don't know. I think the I'm just wondering, you know, is there just is it just to imply story? Are they? I, I'm guessing, you know, you're looking at guys who said, well, what's a a, a pub like? You know, you go down to the pub. What do they have? Like an old time pub. There's that. There's, you know, a couple of mounted heads on the wall. There's a dartboard somewhere, you know, um, the grumpy guy behind a bar. I, I feel like those are staples. And I think that's it's just it's the same thing that makes the rest of Star Wars so amazing. It's implied story. It's that, you know, you see stuff without even noticing it necessarily or putting it into the forefront of your mind. Uh, it's part of what makes Galaxy's Edge so amazing is there's just implied story everywhere. Everywhere you look, there's something that says stuff happened here for forever. This isn't a new land. This is this has been here forever. Look at this. That guy didn't just show up and make this shop. He's he's put all this stuff on the walls. That doesn't just happen. And I don't know, you know, are they saying like is is the cantina barkeep? Is he is he an avid hunter? Uh, does this say that, you know, or, or is, oh man, it's B. Arthur. It's gotta be B. Arthur mm-hmm. <laughs> when she's not mm-hmm. there and she does the night shift, but during the day hunting. It makes sense to me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Head cannon. I'm done. Good enough. <laughs> Just one more round, friend. Then homeward bound, friend. Don't forget me in your dreams. So I have to ask, because I think I have to ask this every so many months, have you unearthed any more pictures of George Lucas sitting on anything? <laughs> no, we, we did find a few more pictures of him 
in the archives just as um, directing the, the 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 U.S. shoot of the Cantina. Um, so there's there's a handful of new pictures in there. I don't know whether or not we'd get to share those. Sometimes they're a little sensitive about what we share. But you know, whenever we do the next one, any of that stuff we can share, I would. And there's there's some good looks at him, like you know, alternate takes of him directing Greedo. Um, there's some stuff that shows that they shot Greedo doing a walk up, you know, so it's more than just the stuff we know, which is, you know, all the, the, just the ups with the moving mouth, but that they actually shot, uh, with the, with the fully mech Greedo that they did for the insert shots, a, uh, a, a walk up with him approaching the table, which should be, uh, which is kind of neat. Oh, you know what? I'm actually I'm flipping through them now. I got a. Uh, does him sitting on a camera rig count? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> All right. Well, then there you go. I got that. <laughs> I got him sitting on a an apple box, uh, setting up the the snake guy alien. So that's that's now two two things of George sitting. <laughs> that works. That's close enough for me. And a, and a few of him holding a blast. But yeah, it, it's. I'm hoping if you find enough pictures, you can do a magnet set of George Lucas sitting on things. Uh, yeah, George Lucas <laughs> on a duvac. Hey, it's, he can be on the duvac or he can be off the duvac. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, yeah. It's like the two set. Oh my god, I wish they'd let us do some George merchandise. I would love to do like just the director's series. You know, get a, a Richard Marquin magnet. Come on. Oh, man. Oh. <laughs> uh, oh, you know what I could do is I could at least do him as the at uh, the ATST driver and just not tell anybody it's Richard Marquin we're doing. You know, just like, oh, no, it's just an ATST driver magnet. It says Blue Harvest on the back. I don't know why. <laughs> what, what else is new? If anybody out there hasn't picked up Rick Baker's book, it's – totally totally worth it brandon allinger worked on it with him uh john rensler i think worked on it it's absolutely amazing and there's a nice few page spread with cantina stuff and some really like never before seen behind the scenes photos in there so highly recommend picking that up and then just if you're amazed by monsters and makeup and masks and things like that it's a a must-have book for your for your shelf it's massive too. Do you guys have the Ralph McQuarrie uh, two volume set that came out last like two or three years ago now? I have the older single book that came out a long time ago, so I didn't end up getting the newer two volume set. So that that thing weighs like twenty three pounds or something like that. Like it's hard to hard to <laughs> to put into words like how much is in there. It's literally. Allegedly, everything Ralph did for Star Wars is in that two-volume set. There's nothing cherry-picked, and it takes you through his process doing the stuff for the movies, stuff for the holiday special, stuff for you know product and, and books and things like that. And it's just freaking stunning. And uh, Brandon worked on that as well with my friend Dave Mandel and Wade Lagasse. Um, but – the uh, the Baker book is similar to that. It's two volumes. It's massive. It's like 18 inches by 12 or something like that. It's not a book you sit in a chair and read. Like you need a table to read it, um, and and like a couple of weeks. But the the imagery is just stunning, and the 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 stories about all the stuff that um, that he's been through in his career just oh, so inspiring and cool. But there, yeah, there's some really good Cantina stuff in there, and uh, so check it out. 
talking about Rick Baker, I've kind of always kind of wondered because we know they did the the UK shoot and then they went back and did the US shoot. How did Rick Baker become involved? And is there any mass that you know of that he had around that time that could have been in the cantina but weren't? So kind of a two-part question there. So there's definitely a bunch of masks that he had at the time that didn't make it in. Um, what he did for the cantina went you know, well beyond the stuff that he just had because the, he did pull together a team of five or six guys um, to uh, put together the new characters. His involvement came through, uh, I want to say it was either Dennis Muren or Tippett, you know, guys that were all friends and had all worked at you know, either Cascade or Cloakey and had done stop motion stuff together or had done commercial work and were all these very, I mean, you look at ILM back then, they're all these young hippie guys that had not tons of credits. You know, they, they were aspirational more than anything. And it's just makes it that much more incredible that what they got done. But this came out of George going, coming back and saying he needed more monsters and, and asking around. And, you know, Rick went to show him some of the stuff he had done and he got the gig small. Uh, he he likes to uh, he likes to tell the story that, you know, he was he didn't get to go on set because uh, at the same time he was shooting uh, the what he calls the much more famous, the incredible melting man movie. Um, and, a very disturbing and weird movie. Oh yeah. Uh, but so he, he was doing that. And he also likes to remind people that incredible melting man paid him a lot more than star Wars. Um, <laughs> so while he was shooting melting man, he wasn't able to be on set for star Wars. So if you ever see people who say like, Oh, Rick Baker's one of the cantina band guys. It's like, no, he wasn't on set. He didn't get any, any of the costumes, but there's a bunch of the aliens in there that were his masks from, you know, 72, 73, 74. Uh, the devil guy was made for a movie. Uh, Rick said it was for a movie with John Landis that never got made. That was called I Was a Teenage Vampire. I assume a great grandfather to Twilight uh, or Vampire Diaries. <laughs> I don't know. Except it was John Landis. So it'd be like if Vampire Diaries was directed by a maniac. Um, but so... <laughs> And then there was uh, what he called Future Man, which they took casting of and painted black, and that became Jaws Purr. There was uh, what he called his Frankenstein, which would be made into Terminal Man, and then also uh, into the uh, what was called Fu Manchu for years, which is this alternate Terminal Man with a mustache um, and a little tuft of hair on top of his head. He actually got a name at one of our panels as well. But uh, and my, my favorite quote from Rick about that was when I showed him the, the, the Fu Manchu character. And that was what the fans called it for a long time. It was I'm like, is this, you know, the, the same sculpt as Terminal Man? He's like, yeah, that's my Frankenstein. But I don't know who put that stupid mustache on him. <laughs> so he, he now he will forever have a stupid mustache, but at least no longer has a terrible name. Rick then pulls together uh, Rob Botine, who was his assistant at the time, who was like 16 or 17. I don't know. He was still like seven feet tall and covered in hair, but he was uh, he was a kid. And Phil Tippett, 
Doug Beswick, who Rick had done, uh, worked with uh, uh, some of the stop motion places. And Doug had also worked with Rick on uh, Octoman, uh, one of these terrible Corman movies, and Lane Liska, and also uh, John Berg. And so those guys all got together and had to create whatever the new characters were going to be. Um, so Phil took one of Ron Cobb's drawings and sculpted up the Duro's aliens. The John Berg took a Ralph McQuarrie sketch, a new sketch that Ralph made to make the given. Uh, Liska took one of Ralph's sketches and made Muff Tech, uh, fabricated out of just sheet foam and fur. Uh, he also made the first alien you see, the sort of anvil-headed guy, T-head or Arcona, I think is the real creature name. There's actually Rick had done a sketch for that, and it's this evil insectoid-looking version of that thing. And then Lane did a sketch, and it has all this like kind of, I don't know, he's just softer, and he's a, a real fun-looking character in Lane's sketch. Obviously, Lane making him made him a little more that way. But Rick's early sketch of it is just great. Um, Rick also did a sketch of the the goat alien that's just like, oh, this is if Ron Cobb's goat alien, the high tundra, as Ron Cobb called it, was evil. Uh, he did a Cantina <laughs> band member. Also evil looking. But Rick's Cantina band member sketch had a, he had a mouth. Then he had another mouth in the neck and another mouth a little further down in the chest. So who knows what instruments they would have been playing. <laughs> but And so, yeah, Doug Beswick sculpted up the Cantina Band guy. Um, they sort of each took something and ran with it. Uh, John Berg fabricated Hammerhead. Uh, Rob Bottin worked on the Brain Alien with Rick. So Rick roughed it out and Rob finished it. Yeah, you know, in the end, they wound up creating... And, oh, Rob Bottin also had this alien that they called Horntop at the time, or Don Rickles which is my yeah. absolute favorite nickname yeah. for any alien. Uh, yes. And, and so that was a sculpt that Rob had done. And it's so funny because like you could see the influence of Rick in that design. If someone had told me that was Rick's sculpt, I would believe it, uh, you know, in a heartbeat. Um, it has so much of that sense, like that sensibility that Rick had in his early stuff. Uh, but that was a Rob piece and they made a casting of that and they, they painted that up for Star Wars and that was used in the scene. And then eventually there was a second version of that in the holiday special. There's actually two Don Rickles aliens in the holiday special, each with different paint. I have no idea what your question was. <laughs> <laughs> well, that got me thinking, too. What, how would you describe the biggest aesthetic difference between the aliens in the U.K. shoot and the aliens in the U.S. shoot? I, I, Nick Maley says it best. Nick Maley, I believe, uses the word terrestrial to describe Stuart Freeborn's stuff. And when you look at Stuart Freeborn's notes for the scene, uh, I've got all of, or just about all of Stuart's handwritten notes from, from when he was making that scene. And it's amazing to flip through. And you look at the earliest notes, and it literally is a brainstorm list of animals that they can draw ideas from, which is a neat way to make an alien. You know, you, you, you get yourself some real anatomy that way, and you can, you know, figure out uh, it. You, you ground it in in some sense of reality, and that was Stewart's approach. Rick's was a little more imaginative. Rick also had the benefit of having, you know, both Ron Cobb and Ralph McQuarrie doing sketching, and then you had Rick doing sketching, and then you had guys like Liska and Phil Tippett redesigning stuff along the way as well, and and 
you know, those are really imaginative guys when it comes to making monsters, absolute geniuses. And, you know, when you look at Stewart's stuff, you get you, I, you know, in his list, you see things like wasp and you go, huh? And then you look at the big picklehead guy at the bar uh, with the gas mask on and you're like, all right. And then, you know, he says uh, cow. And then you look at Snaggletooth and you go, hey, he's a cow. You know, <laughs> he says hippo. And you look at the two guys that we call the hair mask, the Saloma Hall or the Colonel, and you kind of go, hey, 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 that's a hippo. You know, or um, the walrus, which were the Mosap aliens, uh, not walrus man. Walrus man, he actually called a skull head. And when you see what walrus man's casting looks like, uh, just a raw casting of the mask without the hair on, he has a very skull-like feature. He's got, uh, you know, these deep grooves under the cheekbones. He's got the pronounced cheekbones, the big round eyes, no mouth, you know, the, the, and, and there's a description of that alien with hair around it and no mouth and all of this stuff. I'm trying to think who else is in that series. Obviously the fly is, you know, <laughs> pretty obvious where his animal inspiration came from on that one, <laughs> a fish. No. So, uh, but that's, that's the sort of stuff Stuart did. Stuart took real animals and tried to interpret them in a, uh, a you know, a different way. Uh, whereas Rick guys really went for it in terms of making it as alien as possible. and years of the the cantina archaeology for you what is your favorite minuscule nobody ever talks about nobody ever notices tiny fact or nugget or bizarreness in the cantina what is your what's the one that brings warm feelings to your heart gosh there's a there's a lot of fun stuff in there i mean for me just the the sheer volume of creatures that they managed to put into that scene definitely warms my heart. I was surprised at how fascinating the humans of the cantina became for me. I really thought I was going to, you know, I would research all the aliens and, you know, wouldn't really care about the (laughs) humans. Uh, But over the, over time, that's the thing that I think surprised me was just how into I identifying those people I got for just sheer nuggets. The I think the sign over the door outside the Spaga sign, as as we call it, and to have you know gone through all this research to get like seventy five percent of the sign, and then have Roger Christian have a shot showing the back end of a dewback, and then we notice, oh wait, the sign is there. It's not lit, but it's there, and we can make out the last letter of of the four, and now we know it's Spaga. Like, that's amazing that we were able to figure that out all these years later. And then, like, so when they were doing Mando, they came to us to do a bunch of stuff. So we, we did a bunch of little things for that show. We made the the long snoop mask guy for the show, the kind of the Kubaz alien that's in the first episode and, and the fourth episode. Did a whole bunch of props and things like that. We did the IG-88 heads for behind the bar. Um, and when they were doing the bar, they were like, you have art for the Spaga sign. And so that's when, you know, we gave them that so that when they're going into the bar in, in Mando, it says it over the door. It's got the, you know, it's got the sign. That's, that's the cantina. And I just love that stuff. 
Was it hard for you when they were like, hey, we're doing the Mos Eisley Cantina Bar for the Mandalorian? Were you like, there's got to be a fish and a, and a seal head on the wall? Or? I, I, I actually sent them reference on a whole bunch of stuff, including the taxidermy. You know, it's five years later. The, it's more than that, really, because it's five years after Jedi, right? So, you know, any number of changes could have been made. Uh, so they've got some cover there. Uh, I, I would have loved to, if, you know, oh gosh, you know, just, just heart of hearts. Yeah. Let's, uh, uh, fly me out. I'll help you dress the set, you know, rent some (laughs) of our aliens. We've got all these guys we've done for canty for commercials and things like that. Like just throw a few, I, I would have loved to have seen just one or two of the classic aliens in the background for that scene. They did such a good job of bringing in, all these other aliens, you know, the classic looking aliens for other show, uh, other scenes. It's like, ah, guys, you're going into the cantina. You got to have like at least a, a, a cantina band guy here or there or a hammerhead or something. Like, But it was still cool what they did. And I, it's a, a clearly a different time. And it was a dead it, it was a dead time of the afternoon when he went in. Apparently. <laughs> So this is slightly off topic, and and you don't have to go into it too much. But as far as you've now done a couple of the Secrets of Jabba's Palace panels, is that still occupying some of your time? Are there still secrets you're working on in that, or are you kind of focused back on the cantina at the moment? I mean, it's hard not to explore the mysteries of any of those, especially the first three movies. There's so much that went into making those movies and there's so much that wasn't recorded. And so I'm just endlessly fascinated by all of that. The cantina is the, the one everybody knows me for, I guess. And it, and it certainly, I guess might be the guy who knows the most about it. I don't know. Uh, but I feel like I, I could easily sink my teeth into Travis palace more. And there's definitely a bunch of stuff that we, started to scratch the surface of when we were doing that, that secrets of Jabba's palace panel and how great it is. So that one, is that one online as well? It is. is and it's from the, yeah. that was the fan X one, I guess up. Mm-hmm. I think so. Just watch that. Not for me or, or Pablo or anything. Watch it for Kirk Thatcher. Uh-huh. Like, Oh my God, that guy's yeah. gold. <laughs> <laughs> the legend. There's a video you guys show in that where it's like, some of like that from Star Wars to Jedi creature shot footage, and it's like the raw footage. What is that? That's the raw footage from Star Wars to Jedi. No, I'm kidding. So uh, no, so it was uh, Howard Kazandrian, I think, had that. Uh, was one of the producers on Jedi, and uh, Brandon Allinger got that for us. It was uh, you know converted sixteen millimeter footage. Uh, it was a creature reel. Some of that footage turns up. In it wasn't a Star Wars dedicated standalone making of, but it did turn up in one of these other, you know, it wasn't like three, two, one countdown, but it was like one of those kind of shows about movie stuff where they showed some footage. It was it was put together as promotional footage for the movie. You know, uh, someone is the, the behind the scenes team shot it. They, they edited it together. Uh, we showed a cut down probably four or five minutes worth of it. Um, it's absolutely amazing footage. Uh, it's, it's so cool to see. And there's great shots of like Kirk Thatcher popping open molds and, and, and injecting foam into stuff. 
uh, and just all like the maquettes and things and Phil Tippett just being Phil. Um, <laughs> it's, uh, but yeah, like that's the kind of stuff that I, it just amazes me that all these years later, what are we, you know, we're almost 40 years from when they started the pre-production on Jedi and we're still discovering stuff about these movies. We're still unearthing footage. We're still hearing stories from crew members that no one's heard before. We're finding images no one's seen before. It's they just keep giving. And I, how do we, with all the attention that Cantina scene's gotten over the years, how are there still mysteries? How are there still, how, not even how are there still questions? How are there still answers coming up every you know few months? Like it's amazing to me, uh, and just it's so rewarding, and it 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 is something that I think these movies give you on a level that not every movie does, um, and it's it's just it's just fun. Creature Cantina that you put together. Action figures each sold separately. You can make them move on revolving discs with the action lever. You can even make them fall. Got you, Hammerhead. Got him. I told you not to follow me, Greedo. You owe us money, Han Solo. You're not going to collect this time. Wow, what a weird place. Kenner's new Star Wars Creature Cantina. Action figures sold separately. points too accurate for sand people only imperial stormtroopers are so precise So Apple Podcast Reviews, you know we say it every single week. When you get done listening, if you listen on some sort of Apple something or other, you go over there, you write a little something nice, and we will read your review on an upcoming show. And check us out on BlastPointsPodcast.com, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and if you're on Facebook, like Tom says... You got to be in the chill group. You got to. <laughs> and if you want to support the show in a different way, we have got the Blast Points Army over there on Patreon, where we just did a commentary for Battle Beyond the Stars. Tom, are you a Battle Beyond the Stars fan? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> that's, I, I love that that's the sort of thing you guys are pulling out for a commentary. We give the people what they want, you know? That's right. What am I thinking? Yeah. <laughs> Did you see Battle Beyond the Stars in the theater? 
No, that was more like a, a, a cable late 80s kind of, you know, what's this thing? <laughs> Where did, when did this happen? Did you ever see Kiss in concert in the 80s? Not live, but one of my earliest memories of New Year's Eve actually was seeing Kiss on like the New Year's Eve show. And I was so taken by that. <laughs> like, I was like, who are these guys? This is amazing. Look at what they're wearing. Like, I was, I thought that was the coolest freaking thing ever. Maybe we'll find the Kiss New Year's Eve footage and we'll do a special Patreon episode. We'll have, we'll have you back on for a commentary for that. You know, so it's just <laughs> like being at grandma's. Are mom and dad coming home soon? You know? <laughs> so, so, Tom, how, how can people find out where you're at how can people see all the amazing stuff you've got going on so it's very simple they can go to uh regalrobot.com or tomspinadesigns.com and see all the crazy stuff we're working on and i do mean crazy stuff if you like star wars and shag and tiki go to tomspinadesigns.com the most recent thing we put up was these giant tiki masks that we made based on art that shag did for beeline creative the geeky tiki guys and like, this is just the stuff we get to do. It's absolutely amazing. Um, and then, yeah, Regal Robot, we've got all the cool stuff coming out. You'll get to see the Jabba, which will probably be being teased by the time this is out. And you can find that on at Regal Robot for Facebook, Instagram, whatever, or go to regalrobot.com. And there's lots more coming. The next few months, we've got some absolutely amazing replica stuff and more of the, the cool magnets for, for your fridge, your collection, and... Um, yeah, I was, thanks to everybody who, who does come and check us out. We had a lot of folks who tell us that they found us because of Blast Points. And, um, you know, so thank you guys for that. Oh, that's so cool. That's so good to hear. Yeah. Well, and Mando Season 2 is coming like a freight train, and it sounds like you guys are on top of it. So We, we have some neat stuff for Mando. I'm, I'm, it's, uh, man, the maquette. I can't wait to share it. It's really freaking cool. <laughs> I'm talking about my feelings. You're driving me crazy here. <laughs> yeah, I know. Well, that about wraps up number 231 here. Tom, it's we always have so much fun when you're on for real. It's always it's it's always just the best. It's I love it. I'm I'm so thankful that you guys just keep having me on. I it's where else can we go and talk about this stuff like this? Well, all right, literally well, anywhere with our friends. But you know what I mean. Well, you have our number now, so you can call us anytime. Just expect to be interrupted in a lot of future shows now. <laughs> well, all right, everybody. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll talk to you next week. Bye-bye, everybody. May the force be with you. Goodbye, old friend. May the force be with you.
I feel like I should have prepared something. May the force be with all of you. 